Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And uh, first of all, it's good to have Isaac back, right? Amen? Right? Isaac and Emily, good to have them back. They got to have uh, a week to, not that you really rest in a week, but they got to have a week to rest, and so it's nice to have them back leading us, thankful for what they do. Amen? It's good, yeah. So, uh, we are continuing a series called Mirror Images. If you weren't here last week, I need to catch you up a little bit. This is designed to be a five-week conversation where week after week we build upon the things that we talked about the week before. We're dealing with some of the most contentious conversations that our culture is having right now. And if you didn't know that, and today is your first time here, I promise you I will not be offended if you're like, what in the world did I just walk into? Um, Today's conversation is going to be tough. Last week we talked about um, the reality that each of us has a worldview. We have a lens through which we, we look and we make decisions about what is true, what is not true, what is, what is right, what is wrong. A lens through which we look at, through and we determine who we are and how we got here and what the future will look like. And so that lens has some pretty huge implications for how you view, view life, what you do, what you don't do, what you think is right and wrong in life. Okay, And today we're going to continue that conversation. Um, Before we begin this morning, there's a couple of things that I want to remind you of. Number one, I will not be able to answer every single question in these conversations, and I hope you will view it as a conversation. In fact, I want to share with you my email address, because if something that gets said today, something strikes you and you're like, man, I'm just not sure, Uh, I'm not sure you got that right, or you you want to have more of a conversation, I want to have a conversation with you. So here's my email address. It's aaronp at bwater.org. I would love to be able to talk with you and hear Here's why. There are three or four conversations that I have listed at my desk that I will only have in person. Three or four questions, three or four topics that if somebody emails me or texts me or calls me and says, hey, can we have a conversation about this? Um, I will only do those conversations when I can sit down eyeball to eyeball with you because they are that foundational. And sometimes it's really easy to take things out of context. But when we can sit and see each other, I hope what you'll see from me is that I genuinely care, even if my struggle is different than yours. And today, we're going to talk about number one on that list. So this is an an important conversation. Um, Last week, before I tell you what we're going to talk about, Last week, we talked about a couple of things that really help guide us, and I want to remind you of these things that, that help guide us. Um, number one, we, these are the quick reminders of things that we already talked about, but number one, God is actually the source of life. We believe that here. We're talking about a biblical worldview ethic, and you, I realize you may be here and you may not be sure of that. That's fine. I'm just telling you this so that you know what kind of helps guide and shape 
our lens, okay? We actually believe that God is the source of life, that all life, including human life, originated in God. Number two, we actually believe that the Bible is the authority for our lives, so it tells us what's right and wrong, and I promise you God is not just a cosmic fun hater. That's not who he is. He actually is desiring to protect us. When he says don't, he's also saying don't hurt yourself. Trust me, I know. How many times do we as parents tell our kids don't, and they think, well, that looks like so much fun. Yeah, we're, we're also saying don't, don't hurt yourselves. And third, grace and truth is our approach to life. And sadly, this is the one that I see among most Christians that gets left out. And so I hope what you sense today is a commitment to not only truth, but also grace. Now, those are the things that we talked about from, from week one. So um, one of the first things that I want to quickly kind of build upon and remind you of is that we are going off of what the designer has given us. And when we talk about the things we're going to talk about today, we're entering into these conversations with grace and truth, but we're taking, we're taking our cues from God. So here's what we're going to talk about we are going to talk about human sexuality here today. I realize some of you didn't know that, and you're like, excuse me, what? <laughs> this is a tough subject. This is a subject that is like so emotionally uh, jam-packed because we have all kinds of, of experiences and feelings and emotions. We have past, we have difficulty. Some of us even have trauma, and there's things that are attached to this conversation that are very, very difficult. And here's a problem that we often run into. The problem is this. Often in the debate about sexuality, the debate surrounding sexuality, what the Bible says is often assumed and it's not actually studied. We assume that we know what the Bible says. We don't stop and actually look at it. We assume that the watching culture should have the same ideas that you have about sexuality and rather than taking the time to actually hear somebody's story and hear maybe how they arrived at the conclusions they did, we just jump to conclusions and we assume. And so today, because over the last 22 years of pastoral ministry, I've sat next to people who've come in. They come into my office trembling. I'm not kidding. I've seen people just like walk in like they have tremble, like tremors, you know. They will sit down, and before I can even say anything, they'll begin to cry, and they start to tell me their story. They start to tell me their struggles. They're opening up and sharing things that are so difficult for them to share. I've built friendships with people who have struggled mightily with every form imaginable in the conversation of sexuality. And because I believe God cares about those people right where they're at. Because I believe that God doesn't say clean yourself up before you come home. We're going to wade in. And we're going to see what God has to say. And I want to start with an overarching idea, okay? Um, see, sadly, several errors have occurred within the church, 
around this conversation. There have been all kinds of errors where we end up demonizing sexual strugglers. Everything from demonizing people who've had affairs to demonizing people who get divorced and remarried to demonizing people who struggle with pornography to the most recent one that seems to be on the forefront of everybody's thoughts is demonizing people who struggle with same-sex attraction. I've seen it over and over again. It seems like it's a cycle. Do you notice that? When we stop demonizing one, we have to find something else to demonize. And yet the scripture gives us something very different. The scripture gives us this overarching idea that as you read through the stories that are littered all throughout scripture, you find all kinds of people from all different types of backgrounds struggling with a sexual ethic. And here's what we find. I think, I believe this very firmly, we all have broken sexuality. Every single one of us struggle in some way, shape, or form. We may have desires that are outside the the lines of what God has told us are right and wrong. Your desires may be different than mine. Your struggles may be different than mine. Your past may be different than mine. But the reality is, every single one of us, because sin has entered into this world, we have broken sexuality. And yet, What I see often, and I I promise, I'm not going to keep coming back to this over and over, but what I see often is that we're really quick to point out other people's broken sexuality and not our own. So here's what I want you to wrestle with with me today as we look at God's word. The real question is not whether or not you can identify somebody else's, but the real question is, can you identify where it is for you? Now we're having this talk today. Because I realize that there's a lot of, there is a lot of confusion about sexuality. We'll have a conversation next week because I realize that there's a lot of confusion about gender in our culture. There are all sorts of conversations taking place. And we are having this conversation not to point out someone else being wrong. We are having this conversation to point to what God says. And hopefully to shed light for you, for your family, for your friends. Because I know that this is a heavy conversation. So since God is a source of life and he's given us truth, let's go to the beginning and let's see what God has to say about our sexuality. Let's see if we can identify where it might be broken. And here's what we're going to look at. There are four truths that guide the way we are called to see our sexuality. There are four truths that show up in Scripture. Okay, there, we, could, we could run with a number of them, but I'm going I'm to focus in on these four today. And I hope you will stick with me. Again, there may be a point where you go, huh, mm, that's, listen, stick with me until the end. Okay? So first and foremost, in Genesis chapter 1, look at what we see, starting in verse 27. It says this, so God created mankind. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. We we see the whole creation account. You can look at it, one, one account in Genesis 1, another account in Genesis 2. It's not two different creation accounts. It's the same, just looking at it from different angles. 
And in, in verse 27, it says this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we unpacked that a little bit last week. Then it goes on in verse 28, and it says this, God blessed them. So here we have male and female. You, we're gonna, in, a minute, in a minute, we're going to go to Genesis 2, and you're going to see that we have, we have two people at the beginning of the world, a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. We'll see that whole creation account here in a minute. But when he created them and put them together, here's what he said. He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. I am not going to have a biology class here, but you understand what that means, correct? Are we on the same page? It's okay to laugh here because this is going to be tense today. So let's just (laughs) take a minute and, and laugh. You understand what he is saying. He's saying, make some babies, okay? Right? We got it, okay? It says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So first and foremost, here's what we begin to see. God told them about sex. Do you understand that? God was the one who told them about sex. Now, I grew up thinking that sex was a dirty word. Can anybody identify? I kind of grew up thinking that that's what it is. But the reality is, in the very first chapter of the Bible, God initiates it. God talks about it. And here's the reality. Sex is a gift from God. It is. Now, that's that's not all (laughs) about sex. That's not everything that the Bible says about it. But it's very clear that its origins are not, you know, teenage boys. They're like, ha-ha, bet I can do this. No. This is God's idea. This This is God's idea. And it's a good gift. Then in Genesis 2, we find out more about this gift. We find out more clarity about it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, look at what it says. It says this, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Stop here. At this point in Genesis 2, if you read up to that point, it's really only Adam and the animals and the fish and the birds and the plants. It's a pretty solitary life. God's overseeing everything on this sixth day of creation. He sees Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. So what am I going to do? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a suitor, help, uh, a suitor. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Suitor, helper, sorry. There you go. <laughs> a little Freudian slip there. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. It, can you... Can you um, can you settle in for my little junior high humor for a minute? Do you know what the next verse is? This just makes me laugh so much. And it tells me that God has a sense of humor, okay? Verse 19, look at what verse 19 says. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground and all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now verse 20, it goes on and it says this. So the man gave names to all the livestock, Okay, so he's naming everything, okay? The birds in the sky and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And can we all just say, praise Jesus, <laughs> right? I don't know why, but that is so funny to me. 
Like verse 18, Adam, you need a helper. Boom, bring all the animals. Nope, 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 definitely no. Okay, <laughs> right? Like, I, I know I'm a junior higher, but that's what sticks in my head, you know? <laughs> then, verse 21, look at what occurs. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. God does this laparoscopic surgery. He pulls out a rib, out of the rib. Remember, man was created out of the dust of the earth. Woman was created out of this rib, okay? There's, there's a reason for all that. I'm not going to go into all of that, but really God was creating a helper, someone to be alongside. Here's the one cool thing, ladies, I want you to know. Um, who is weaker, the helper or the person who needs help? Can we just be honest about who needed help in this story? <laughs> no, it's not the helper that's weaker. Trust me, it is not the helper that we, that's weaker. It's the one who needs help. And so God created a woman, right? He took one of the man's ribs and it closed up the place with flesh. And then going on in verse 22, it says, And the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, can you just use your, for a minute, use your, your, your junior high glasses and think about this, okay? I know, I'm sorry, but just, just think about this with for, for a minute. Okay. So here, here's what happened. He's made the woman. He's bringing her to the man. What in the world do you think this guy does? Okay, look at this. Verse 23, okay, here's what it says. The man said, by the way, this part right here that's in, in, in quotations, it's in song form. It's one of the reasons that I'm convinced that dudes with guitars get all the girls. But, you know, okay, he's singing. He's singing. He's like, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He's like, I belong to you and you belong to me. Do you get that? He's saying, I, I'm with you and you are with me. I'm not with anybody else. I belong to you. I can't call my bone someone else's bone. I can't call my flesh someone else's flesh. I belong to you and you belong to me. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. Then verse 24 and 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. Who were Adam and Eve's father and mother? Who's Adam's father? They didn't exist, humanly speaking. This is an important thing. Because at the very beginning, I believe that God is making a prescription for marriage. Before there's even any parents, God is making it plain. Not only is sex God's gift, so is marriage. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. He leaves every other primary human relationship and cleaves or is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Brand new family, just like that. What's going on? Well, I think that Genesis chapter 2 is telling us more about this good gift from God it's telling us that it actually has parameters. In fact, here's what I would say. I would say sex is a good gift. Oh, I skipped a verse. I, I'm going to back up. Sorry. Verse 25 says this. This is kind of an important one. Adam, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That means exactly what you think it means. It means there was nothing wrong with them being naked together. 
the reality is, this passage is talking us through the parameters for our sexuality. Sex is a gift from God, but it has parameters determined by the designer, okay? Let me just... Let me just walk you through that, okay? God made it. But in the very beginning, he's saying, a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave or cling to, be united to his wife. So here's what it's saying. The parameters, and this is where it gets tough, and culturally speaking, I realize this is a hard conversation, but I hope, again, I hope you'll stick with me, okay? The parameters that God gives us are such. One man one woman, okay? That's, that's the reality, okay? We have a culture, we have a hookup culture. Do you understand that? We have things like Tinder. We have all kinds of things where you can swipe. I don't even know, what direction do you swipe? Good. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to see if I could catch any of you. No, I have no idea. You, you swipe one way if you want to connect with somebody, you swipe the other if you don't. I don't know. Something. We have a hookup culture, and, and, and we wonder why we have such a crisis of identity and a crisis of pain and trauma and why we have a crisis uh, of mental health. There are ways that we are going outside the parameters of what God originally intended. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, when, when you are intimate with someone else, you give a piece of yourself to them. And they give a piece of themselves to you. And so we end up with all of these pieces. I understand. Listen, we, where did we start? We are all broken sexually. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm just walking you through what the scripture says. One man, one woman. But then he also says they are to leave and cleave. They're to create a new entity, one flesh within the bonds of marriage. This is God's design. Now here's the thing. That's pretty limiting. This is what leads to experiencing the blessings that God has established within our human sexuality. Now are there more parameters? Yes. Sex is not to be used or wielded against one another. It's not meant as a, a, a tool for you to get what you want. It's meant as a tool for a husband to serve his wife and a wife to serve her husband. But at the origin of humanity, several parameters are clear. One man, one woman within the bonds of marriage. Now, what happens when we go outside these parameters? Well, the reality is that we don't have to go very far, even in the book of Genesis, to find out what happens when we step outside the parameters that God has given to us. As soon as we do that, sin begins to produce pain and consequences and much, much more. So, since we are talking about broken sexuality, since we are talking about the ways that we deviate and we can deviate from, from how God has, has intended, I want to be clear. The reality is if you're going to talk about sexuality, we need to talk about all of the ways that, that we can go outside of God's parameters, okay? But I do want to be very clear. When we go outside of God's parameters, it leads to sin, any 
sexual activity outside of God's parameters is sin. Plain and simple. In fact, I'm not going to highlight one over the other. That seems to be a very popular thing to do. It seems to be that we think that when somebody is struggling sexually in a way that seems different to you, we seem to think that one's worse. I would tell you the scripture doesn't talk about it that way. Scripture doesn't talk about it that way at all. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul writes to one of his protégés, a broken and sinful man named Paul, writes to one of his protégés, about the parameters that God has given through his word. And he says this. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers, as people like me, and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers. Who else? He goes on in verse 10 and he says this. It's written for the sexually immoral. This is a a blanket term that talks about every form of immorality. Any way that we could deviate from God's parameters, one man, one woman, within the bonds of marriage, serving each other. Okay? Anyway, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, for liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The bottom line is, so when we step outside of God's parameters, we are sinning. And I don't, I don't care if your struggle is different than mine. You're no different than me. You need to hear me say that. Can I say that again? Even if your struggle looks different than mine, you are no different than me. Do you understand that? You may hear something different culturally. You need to hear right here, right now, that God sees you, that God knows you, and that God loves you just as you are. Okay? We'll we'll get to that in just a minute. But I've got to, with, with the difficulty of this conversation, I've got to remind you of this along the way, okay? So we have parameters. Anything outside of those parameters lead us into sin, okay? No. The bottom line is that premarital sex, extramarital sex, pornography, uh, any form of, of a hookup culture, homosexual activity are all distinctly outside of the original parameters that God has given us. Unfortunately, the number of people who have, I have heard who single out one, and I will say specifically single out homosexuality and forget the rest of our sin struggles is quite high. The number of people who have talked like people who struggle with same-sex attraction are second-class citizens, man, I just want to say to you that is unequivocally false. I do not want to hear believers say things like that. Because the scripture is quite plain that God is in the business of saving people regardless of their struggle. That is who God is. And in a room like this, I am confident that there are people who are struggling with this. And there are people who would say, they, they would, whether it's out and loud or, or quiet and silent, they are, they are seeing a, a, some sort of connection with the LGBTQ movement today. 
And if all we're concerned with doing is declaring that we are right and somebody else is wrong, we will never be able to point people to Jesus. Are you following me? Now, I'll be clear with you. I will not affirm sexual activity outside of the prescribed parameters from God's word, but I will value you. I will hear you. I will care for you like every other person, regardless of what type of brokenness exists. We will defend you as a person who matters and is made in the image of God because we all experience broken sexuality. And even if yours is different than mine, it does not change your value or dignity. Third, God's instructions differentiate between action and attraction. The Bible is very, very clear that there is a difference between acting on a, on a desire or an attraction and having an attraction. Lots of people want to enter in the conversation of, well, were we born this way? I'll be honest with you, I was born with certain, you know, desires that are wrong. Were you? Why do we need to fight over this? We don't need to fight over this conversation. This is a foolish waste of time. The Bible differentiates between action and attraction. You can be attracted to something or attracted to do something and that doesn't mean you are sinning, but when you choose to act on it, that's a different conversation. This is where the scripture calls believers to not act on our desires outside of the parameters that God has given to us. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have certain desires sexually and you know they're outside of the parameters of God, I would urge you, keep fighting. Brother, sister, keep fighting. Please know we want to be right there cheering for you, right beside you, because the scripture differentiates between your desires and your actions. And your desires, hey, okay, you've got those desires. Let's fight and let's stand firm in Jesus. Amen? This is something we've got to remember. God's instructions differentiate between action and attraction. Choosing to act on those desires, that's different. Sexual temptation and desire does occur for every single one of us. It can take the form of lust. It can take the form of uh, an attraction towards someone. It can take the form of lust for someone else's spouse, lust for someone who's not your spouse, lust for someone in the same sex. It can take many different forms. However, regardless of our attraction, God calls his people to fight our desires and to stand in obedience. Number four. Actually, before I give that to you, here, here's what I want to tell you. To the struggler here today, if you're sitting here today and you feel like, whether I've done something or not, you feel like you're, you're being, uh, there's a spotlight on you. Can I, I promise you, I, I, I'm not thinking of you or anybody else, but here, here's what I want you to know. I cannot promise you freedom from the pull of your desires, but here's what I can promise you. I can promise you freedom from the control of sinful action all through Jesus. I can tell you, you do not have to be controlled by your desires. Jesus came to set us free. The desires may not stop. The desires may not change. But Jesus 
can set you free from being controlled by them. Okay? Number four. And this is the most important piece, I think, for the whole conversation. It's this. God's grace is for all brokenness. Every piece of it. God's grace is for your past brokenness, for your future brokenness, for your current brokenness. It's for all brokenness, including every form of sexual brokenness. In fact, the scripture is so clear on this. Let me show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Next verse. I mean, that seems pretty definitive, but, but the next verse helps us understand it all. Here's what he's saying. And that is what some of you were. By the way, in a church like this, that is what some of us were. But you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. That means set apart, made holy. You were justified. That means you were declared righteous. That God looks at you and he knows everything about you. It's not like God puts on blinders and says, oh, nope, I don't know any of that about Aaron. Don't ask me questions about that. No, he knows. And when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. Do you understand how big of a deal this is? He looks at me in all of my brokenness, and he sees Jesus. And he says, Aaron, you are declared right. I'm justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is talking about his death, burial, and resurrection that he did as a substitute for you. <laughs> With you in mind, knowing everything about you, your desires, your past, your present, he knows it all about you. This was done through Jesus. God's grace is for all brokenness. And I don't know what your brokenness is. I don't know what your struggle has been. But I do know that Jesus is more than enough. And I know that some of you have struggled silently. You've wept, you've cried, you've felt broken and defeated. Can I just tell you that Jesus is for you? Now to the church, okay? If you're new here and you say, whoa, what was this all about? I don't know what I walked into. I, thank you. Thank you for humoring me and not walking out. But to the church, I have a few things that I want to say. To believers in Christ Jesus, I have a few things that I want to say. Number one, let's stop treating certain struggles like they are a threat. These are people in need of grace. You, you understand me? People are not the enemy. People are the object of God's grace. What are we doing? Let's stop treating certain struggles 
like they're a threat. Number two, for those who experience any form of sexual temptation, and I, I really, okay, I'm going to do this. I want to say, especially those who are struggling with same-sex attraction. I, I use the term same-sex attraction. I know that lots of people use different terms. I, I'm happy to use whatever term a person shares with me that they like. I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if we use the term homosexuality, if we use the term, uh, you, you know, if, if someone say, well, I'm, I'm a lesbian, okay, that's fine. I, whatever term you want to use. But the bottom line is for me, I need you to know this. God loves you exactly where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay stuck. I'm not promising you that the desires will go. I'm telling you he will deliver you from having to act on the desires. Okay? Please hear this. And finally, for everyone, for everyone who's here today, I want to call you to approach one another with a keen awareness of your own sinfulness. I want to call you to approach one another with biblical clarity, knowing what the Bible actually does and does not say. And I want to call you to have deep compassion for people. This is actually in the scriptures. Again, I told you last week we'd be going to Colossians 4 over and over. So let me just show it to you really quickly. Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Well, here's what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So number one, he said, be praying. Okay? Number two. Okay, verse 3. Here's what he says. And pray for us too that God would open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's saying pray for for open doors for evangelism to help other people know the grace that's in Jesus Christ, okay? Verse four, he goes on and he says this, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He says, pray for me in particular. Verse five, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. And guess what? Some of the people who don't yet know Jesus struggle different than you. And some of them struggle the same as you. Be wise. You cannot win an enemy to Christ. Do you understand that? You can win a friend. Why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we approach it that way? Be wise, make the most of every opportunity. Then verse 6 says this. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And sometimes it's better to listen for a while so you understand how somebody feels and why they think the way they do so that you can have compassion. So let's go back to those last two ideas. If you're struggling, I want you to know that God loves you. He sees you where you are. But he loves you enough to not let you stay there. Number two, for all of us, let's be very careful, wise, compassionate, filled with grace and truth about how we communicate about our sexual brokenness and someone else's sexual brokenness. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough <laughs> that you would redeem my past. Thank you for loving me enough 
that you would allow Jesus to be the one who defines me, not my struggles and not my past. Oh God, please build within this body of believers compassion, grace, and truth. We stand on your truth. We're not, we, we, can't, we can't alter it. We're not going to walk away from it. But God, we, we do need to be compassionate and filled with grace just like you are. God, please, for the struggler here today, whether it be engaged in, an, in illicit conversations, things that nobody else knows about, whatever it may be, God, Today, I pray that we would turn to you and we would say, okay, Lord, my life is yours. I, I, I'm going to bring it into the light and I want to turn from it and I want to follow you. Please help me because that seems really scary. God, that would be our prayer. Pray in Jesus' name.